sloppy all over the place. One out of ten, two out of ten, disappointing. There was one bloke here that says, uh, what was it? I had to reactivate my account to warn you about how terrible this is. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema. The... (laughs) The podcast that's wondering, when is this all going to end? Anyway, my name is Tosin. I am your host, based up in Coventry in the Midlands. Joining me on the Isle of Wight are Sharon. Hello. And Sean. Hiya. Well, guys, yeah, now I say, I, I say, when is this going to end? Because earlier this week, I sent you a... I, I sent you guys a, a screenshot of an email I got from Odeon Cinemas that that said after what we had so we had this three weeks in a row two weeks ago on the podcast it was all cinemas are coming back yay they're sending us emails yeah, saying, yeah we'll, we'll, yeah yeah we'll be opening up on the 13th of july we'll see you there these are the films we're going to be opening with yay the last week we had cineworld going okay we're not going to open until the uh, end of july and that's because like oh all the big film releases have moved themselves back and so we we referred to it as a cinematic game of chicken that was going on. Yeah, were, we did. Were, no one wanted to be the first to reopen. <laughs> yeah, nobody wanted to be the first to reopen. The films not wanted to go in there until like they're sure that people are not going to die at their screenings and all that. So, so we thought, okay, well, what we have is that we have Odeon. We have Odeon who are going to open up first. Cineworld are going to hold back a bit and go, oh, let's see what happens there. And then after that happens, the films are going to be okay. Is every and then guess what happened this week? Odeon have delayed their opening date indefinitely. They haven't even put a date on it to say when they're going to open. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. They have, That's they terrible. Have, yeah, they, they've delayed it indefinitely, and they have blamed it as well on the films putting everything back. So, I mean, I've got it up here. I'm going to, we've been working hard to get our cinemas ready to reopen safely. However, following postponements and the release dates of this summer's big blockbusters, we've pushed our planned opening of Odeon and Eaton, or which is where I am, pushed back the planned reopening of Odeon and Eaton. We're sorry you'll have to wait a bit longer for big screen entertainment, but we'll let you know as soon as we have a confirmed new reopening date. I'm just kind of, that's just kind of like saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so what I said last week about this becoming a farcical, never-ending tale, it might play out. We might never get these films. We, mm-hmm. Maybe what we said originally when we said Netflix has won the rest of 2020, maybe that was true. Maybe that was the actual thing. But yeah, uh, They're just going to keep going back and say, it's like, you know what? Maybe Christmas. There might be a Christmas film that will bring them back in the cinemas. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah. Maybe, but but it's but it's funny because obviously the world. Well, I don't know about the world. I know, but talking about the UK, the UK is slightly reopening up at the moment. It seems yeah. like pe- people are accepting that we're not going to get rid of it. We're just going to have to figure out ways around it. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to have to figure out ways around it. Um, things seem to be getting back to little by little, getting back to something like what it used to look like before. Obviously, we're still keeping eyes out that this thing is just still out there and it seems that our viewing habits are becoming a bit more normal as well because this week it seems as if we have actually we actually have multiple things to talk about that we have seen recently is that not true uh, it's true okay cool sharon how about you i mean i know sean you've already you okay you haven't said it on the you said it before we started recording but sharon how about you 
Um, my habits have been as they have been over this last couple of months, and that is I have watched Anne of Green Gables, and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, was that was that Anne of Anne with an E season two? Anne with an E. Yes, I've seen series two. I finished season two of Anne with an E, and that's the only thing I've watched. I again, I started to watch like the Luminaries on BBC, mm-hmm. but I've only got halfway through the first episode before thinking. I think I might need to give this a bit more attention than <laughs> giving it. <laughs> I, I can't net and watch this. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's right. I can't just, I need to watch it. And I was like, no, I'm busy doing stuff. I don't want to have to watch it. So everything I've recorded with a view to actually binge watching, I've sort of given up on after half an episode. So I have only watched Amazon E. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Uh, Sean, I think you have two things you've watched this week, right? I've seen two things this week, yes. I've, I've watched some other stuff, but that's just all stuff we've seen before. But um, yeah, so I've seen two new things this week that I haven't seen before. All right. Okay, so what I reckon, right, is I reckon, Sean, you kick off, then I go, then we have Sharon, then we have okay. Sean, then we have me. All right? Okay, so, okay, so yeah. Sean, what things have you seen? Okay, well, I've seen um, uh, a, a film directed by Spike Lee on Netflix called The Five Bloods. Yep. Okay, which obviously a big production. And I've also seen a 2013 Australian film called These Final Hours, which uh, is, you know, which was another movie. So those are the two. So which one would you like me to talk about first? Let's kick off with The Final Hours. Okay, The Final Hours. So basically what's happened, the world is coming to an end, uh, you know, sort of catching fire. The last place is Australia. And it starts off with this, 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 man and it's obviously his wife and he says i'm going to this party i'm going to party for the last and she goes oh you're going to see another a lady anyway so he goes off to this party but on the way he sees he, he needs some something happens to his car he needs another car and he's oh, yeah. looking around he's looking around and he sees sees this uh these people in the car but they've got a little girl that they've kidnapped she's screaming let me go let me go anyway he creeps up to the car and He's going to go away in the in the car, and then he just thinks, oh, I better go and save this girl. So he goes and saves the girl, and then it's the, she goes, oh, I've been looking for my dad, and these guys come and took me. And uh, anyway, so, that, so they take this car, and they go off, and they go on a bit of an adventure, really, and a few different things sort of happen to them. And he's trying to get rid of her because he wants to go to this party. And in the end, <laughs> he, in the, in the end he decides, well, he, he sees this this like policeman and this other people in, in a church type thing and he says oh i don't suppose you could help me but then it looks like the the policeman's gonna sort of you know get rid of his family so he goes oh i'm not leaving anyway she ends up going to the party he goes off talking to someone looking at someone and and then this this lady comes up and it's like oh you're my daughter and all like that and gives her a pill and it's like anyway so it's that sort of thing so so so, so is it it sounds like a so dystopian end of the world hedonistic that's it road yeah movie. head yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Um, I mean, it was recommended to me. It was recommended to me by a friend. Said, "Oh, we should see this," and I was like, mm, I was a bit skeptical because I thought, "Oh well." But then some Aussie films are quite good. I mean, I quite yeah. like. I think it's called Wolf Creek and films mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, so it's, yeah. it's 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 quite violent in a couple of parts, and it's quite silly in another couple of parts. But on the whole, it's a, it's a, it's a really good, fun film. It's well acted, and I looked at the. The, the girl who plays the little girl, an actress, and I, you know, like when you look at people and you think, I know, where have I seen her? Where have I seen her? Where have I seen her in something? I've seen her in something. She's quite famous. Um, and she's been in a couple of, of big productions. She was in Spider-Man. Um, 
uh, away from home. Far she was in the home. recent Spider-Man one. Yeah, yeah. So far oh, from and, home. Oh, is it so Angori Rice? Yeah, that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's Rice, a, yeah. yeah, yeah Angori Rice. She's been in a few things. I think she was, she was really, really good. You know, I mean, yeah, she was she quite, is. she was obviously she really younger is. there, but she, she's a class act. You know, class she, act. She, she absolutely is. When you talk about, I mean, we spoke about, um, I went on my rant about Artemis Fowl and you talk about having a kid and if the kid works, the film works. She's one of those people where you're like, okay, the kid works because I oh, mean, well, she, yeah. she was in The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and, um, and Ryan Gosling. So yeah, she's, 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 she's really good. Uh, she was in an episode of Black Mirror, um, the Miley Cyrus one. So... Was she? Oh, right. Okay. I've yeah. seen it with the little doll. Yeah, with yeah, the Miley she's, Cyrus doll. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's the one who's obsessed with the doll. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. 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 She's I knew I'd, I knew I'd seen her. I knew I'd seen her in some stuff. <laughs> yeah. So so okay. With that, I mean, I think you, you kind of go and get it. it. It sounds a little bit like uh, it's a, there's a little bit of it that seems like it's along the lines of seeking a friend for the end of a world with Steve Carroll and Kara Knightley. Yeah, similar in that sort of vein. Yeah, yeah similar. Like, uh, yeah, like, like the yeah. world is going to end. There's nothing we can do to stop it. What are you going to do with the final hours you have on Earth before before you die? That's basically, yeah, that's basically the story. I mean, I'm not sure what the final... Sorry, Sam. No, I was going to say, there was a German film, a television series on one of these. You know, the um, you often get them on Sky. Yeah. Um, and I think it was called something like Eight Days, and that was about a comet was going to hit and decimate Europe, and people were given eight days warning, and they had to all clear off. I only watched the beginning because it got a bit saucy and a little bit too saucy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, let's send the rest okay. of our, the world in an orgy. And then sort of very... Um, and so I got to one thing. I was like, no, not watching this. <laughs> but okay. uh, all right. it okay. has for, that end of the world, you know, what do you do if you have a limited amount of time? Yeah. Okay, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, possibly for the first time, we know that some of you are out there um, <laughs> who, have, who have never listened to the podcast before. We know that there's some people in the world who've never heard the podcast before. Um, yeah, so Sharon has, uh, what is the rule that you have? It's like, you know, uh, are there nipples? Yes, if there's nipples in, it tends to be a bit of a no-no. <laughs> all right cool so yeah so short that, that's like a that's like a rated nipples no nipples but anyway, so short, Actually, that so, so so what would you rate this sort of like australian take on the, on the end of the world nothing you can do about it what are you going to do with your final hours how many stars would you give it, it to my, i'll give it a three i'll give this a three solid okay. solid three stars solid three stars Okay, so I'm going to the the two things I'm going to be talking about this week because we have I think we have five if, I, if I'm counting correctly, the two things I'm going to be talking about I've I've I started talking to you guys about Tiger Tiger King on Netflix next week I finished That's watching right. that so I'll talk about that first the other thing I'm going to talk uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Hamilton I saw the Hamilton oh uh, uh, yes yeah because Hamilton got released on Disney Plus but I will, I'll talk about that later but first of all Tiger King now last week I gave you guys a little bit of a preview talking about this show and this was a one of the it was a big lockdown hit that happened it got released at the beginning of lockdown it went all over the world it became a massive massive hit and it's all about um, the it's about the it's about people owning wild, like you know big cats as pets in America Oh yeah yeah remember yeah. you saying yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, it is crazy because it comes up with a stat at the beginning of the film that there are 4,000 sort of like, you know, like tigers. There's 4,000 tigers in the wild, in the, like in the world at the moment, left in the entire world. But in captivity in America, there's 10,000. Wow. That's wrong. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. A lot of these being held in private zoos by all these different people. And the director of this documentary series, 
he, the way he starts off, the, he says that he starts off because he was trying to do something about people who own snakes. And the first thing you see is that you see this guy coming out with this massive, God knows how long it is, like at least 10 foot long python that he's holding oh. and everything. And he says somebody came to this person to buy a venomous snake from Australia and says, hey, you want to see what I got in the van? And he goes to the van, <laughs> opens up the back, and in the back of his van, he has a snow leopard that he has just bought. <gasps> in a cage in the back of the van and the direct the the director of this one was like wait you just bought that look we're in the middle of like it's one of the really really hot southern states that they're in and it's like you're in the back of this van isn't it too hot that's a snow leopard it's supposed to be in snow (laughs) and he's like and the guy's like nah nah don't worry don't worry it's like these things they've acclimatized they're acclimatized because it was born here and then he's so he starts delving into this world of big cat ownership and sort of private zoo ownership. And he's following them for five years. And then this story comes up of this guy called Joe Exotic. You have one guy called Joe Exotic in Oklahoma who has uh, this big cat zoo. And there's another guy in Florida called um, Doc Antles who essentially has a harem of women. Who Everybody who works for him is a woman. And everybody who works for him <laughs> is, a, is a woman who comes to him when she, when they're young they're like 15 years old they have boob jobs they do cat shows they open it up for the public to come see everything and oh, wow. and he sleeps with them and, and it's it's just, i think i told you last week that essentially it keeps introducing to all these characters and every character you meet is worse than the last person you met is <laughs> it's my opinion i know it's my opinion and if you're going to say whether someone's a terrible person or anything like that, but for me i think every character essentially every character you meet is more car crashy than the last one like you know you're watching them because you're like i cannot believe this person exists <laughs> and, and i think that is a large part of why this documentary worked why this documentary became such a big hit because people were like i cannot believe these people exist i cannot believe that they're doing that i can't so it's like you you had and even the way they spoke about it, you had doc who calls himself, he calls himself Bhagavan, Bhagavan Anto. And that's like a word from Sanskrit, which means like, you know, the enlightened one. It's actually from like, you know, sort of Indian gurus, but that's what he calls oh, wow. himself. And they, they talk, and they, there's a lady in the show who escaped. I'm going to use the word escaped from his harem. And she's talking about what her life was like in there. And she was like, well, the Bhagavan, like, you know, the Bhagavans, what they'll do is that they had this thing called the touch, where they would touch you. And through the touch, they would pass on, like, you know, wisdom and knowledge. And he had his own version of that, in which he would touch you and pass yeah, on right. wisdom and knowledge, but with his penis. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's just kind of like crazy. And then there's this other woman in Florida called Carol Baskin, who... Um, there's a whole subplot about her as well, about whether she killed one of her husbands or not and fed them to a tiger. <laughs> and she has something called the Big Cut Rescue Center. And her, her whole thing is like, you know, these animals, they're not supposed to be caged. So we try and rescue them from where they're being put in cages. And while she's saying that she's standing in front of a cage with a tiger in it, in her thing. And, and yeah. she's like, and what we just give them is like, if you know. my cage is better. Ah. Exactly, exactly. And it's, and I just feel like everybody is just, it's it's hypocritical it's enough to make for me uh, there's a big part of it that's enough to make you an animal activist but it but it the yeah. the story sort of turns to a point where one of these characters tries to get another one of these characters killed that's what they say and then there's a the whole thing of did he actually try and get her killed or was he set up and and did he end up in jail for something that he actually that he didn't he never actually did so it becomes a sort of like a whodunit it goes into this crazy world it's uh, it's seven episodes of like everything that happens. You're just sort of looking at it going, I cannot believe what I am watching. I just cannot <laughs> believe what yeah. I'm watching. Is, it, is each episode about one of these characters or are there multiple? 
it starts off a bit like that it starts off a bit like that where like each episode so folk it, it jumps back and forth between all the different characters and all the different big cat owners and and it, and some episodes are more focused on one character than another. Then towards it, towards the while, it stops focusing on the characters and starts focusing on the plot, which is one person trying to get somebody else killed. Did they actually do it? How did it happen? All that kind of stuff. How did this whole big cat ownership thing end up in a murder plot? Right. So yeah, I've so I've seen some. I've seen some screenshots of it. Is this, this is the blonde guy with the mullet? Yes, blonde guy with the mullet, Joe Exotic. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it is. It it is. It is compelling so much that they actually they went back and they did another show afterwards where the comedian Joel McHale uh, he interviewed a whole bunch of people who were on the show and just said how have your lives changed because this thing you guys are now the most famous people in the world. So, uh, but but yeah, and the thing about it that got me is the fact that even the people who are saying, oh yeah, you know, we're just trying to we're just trying to like you know save these animals and everything. There is no point at which anybody says anything about let's try and reintroduce these animals to the wild or let's try and reintroduce these yeah. animals to the place where they're actually supposed to be because I'm pretty yeah. sure a Sumatran tiger is not supposed to be living in Oklahoma. I'm pretty no, sure. absolutely not. I'm and where pretty... the gene pool is getting smaller in the wild, it's like, hey, if you've got this separate gene pool here, you know, that could actually help those animals in the wild by strengthening that gene pool of the ones that are in limited numbers. Yeah, and, and there's the wild people... where they should be. Yeah, and there's people where like the one character complains about another character and calls them a hypocrite, and I actually agree. Even though I'm like, I think you're yeah. terrible, but I agree what you're saying right now. That person is a total, total hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they're trying to like you know put themselves forward as this sort of like oh Jesus figure, and uh, essentially I walked away going, I don't think I like anybody. I don't think I like anybody no. in this thing. And the 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 so final they're not bound by any of the rules that bind like work like zoos and wildlife parks they just treat these animals like they're just an exotic pet well i think that they actually i think that whatever zoo thing i think they have to have some sort of qualification they call the zoo and to have the public come in and have the public come in and see stuff they they need to have them but because these people are they're also all i think they're all egomaniacs they're all egomaniacs so they film everything it's even the they film everything there's even a bit in it where uh I think it's a I think it's a lion. A lion attacks somebody and it's filmed. <laughs> it's filmed. Uh, it, it's so it, it's crazy. It's it's made very well. It, you will watch it and you will think I cannot believe what I am seeing and it, yeah, it I'll give it a 4 out of 5 for the documentary, but it really does make me uh, essentially I've I've found as I've grown older, I have become a bit more anti-zoo. I I feel like I I feel like I'm more like I would rather go see these animals in the in the place they're supposed to be. Natural so, habitat, yeah. Yeah, in, in the natural uh, uh, and and I think be, maybe because it's American or anything like that, the thing that comes up to me is like it's just how much people feel that just because I want something to be done my for my convenience, it should be done for my convenience. Yeah. And so I'm going to get an elephant and I'm going to fly it around the world and put it in my backyard because I think it should be done for my convenience. And I'm like, no, things should not be done for your convenience. No. Go go to where the elephant is and see it anyway. Anyway, we're taking yeah. way too long on this. I'm but... prepared to accept that I may never see an elephant with my own eyes if they could be back in the wild. I'd rather sacrifice that for the rest of my life and for all generations. Say, so, look, you want to see an elephant, you go to where elephants are born and live in the wild. You do not 
take that creature out of its environment and drop it in a zoo somewhere. Just because it's convenient for you. And I would, I would totally because, yeah, agree. You can't ever go to Africa, so you're going to bring Africa to you? No, no. You leave those animals where they are. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I believe in animal rights, but I do feel like, you know, that I, I think about the humans. I'm like, things should not be done for your convenience. Things, <laughs> anyway, yeah. four out of five for that. And we are taking a lot of time to complain about things. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, Sharon, is there any chance that you can speedily move us on? Yes, I won't talk about Amazon because I have actually done a quick review, but I did remember a film I did see. I caught the end of it on Talking Pictures, actually, and then I sat and I went and found it again on their schedule and I recorded it so I could watch the whole thing. And this is a little film from 1952 that just Ooh. caught my eye because it was just a bit unusual, the fact that when it was made, it's called So Little Time. And it's set during the war in Belgium. And it's basically this, the, owner, the family of this Belgian chateau. It's been commandeered by the German high command. And they've put one of their area commanders there. And he's responsible for like civil obedience and other things. And the family have been moved to their own apartment. And he's living in the rest of the house. He's basically got the chateau. And they've got like two rooms at the back. And basically, to cut a very long story short, this German commandant, he's like an older man, he starts a relationship with the young, the, the, the woman, of the, the young daughter of the house. She's like 18 and he's like 45. Mm. And they have like this May-September romance oh, all dear. over music. He's like this piano. He's just like, a, he's passionate about music. And she's a student of music. And so you, they form this relationship and then... Um, her brother is involved in the resistance and so that sort of gets dragged into it and and then that comes can i give you a spoiler about the ending go go go, go for it is that fault for not saying 1952 it? i think if you want to get it's 1952 anyway basically they have this and they decide they're gonna um she, she gets her brother tries to get her to steal secrets from his office because he's bribing her by saying that if i I'm going to tell everyone about your relationship with this guy unless you go and steal some papers from his office to help the resistance. Yeah. So she does that, and then they're driving for a night out together, her, her and the commandant, and their their car gets ambushed, and she gets killed. And then all their, their relationship comes out, and then he is disgraced, and then he commits suicide. Ooh. And the story is told in flashback by one of the brothers who goes back to the chateau and says, you know, this house is empty now, but this is because it's empty because of this reason or this drama ensued here. So it's a classic black and white melodrama from the 1950s. And it's this sort of forbidden romance. It went to 1952, so close to the end of the war. And they made a film about a relationship between an older Nazi, basically. And there's no shine away from the fact that he's a Nazi because he commands some locals to be shot and the resistance to be shot and all this stuff yeah. and it was your classic gray jack booted stomping about shouting nazi and yet he's like the romantic hero of this film um but because this was no a british film deed, it's a british film yeah. but because no deed goes unpunished there's no way that they're going to have a happy ending for a nazi <laughs> yeah. and a young belgian woman uh, so the only way they're going to better end this romance is it yeah they can love each other but you're not going to live happily ever after so you know she gets punished for loving the wrong man. She dies. And he's like, he's punished for daring to, you know, 
corrupt a young Belgian girl, so he takes his own life. So he's, <laughs> in the morality of the day, he's condemned utterly for, you know, yeah. for all time, for all eternity, for his actions. But, you know, it really drew me in. It's one of these films I wasn't expecting to like at all. But I just started watching it, and I just found it one of those, the, 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 the lighting and the, the, the way it was just was shot it just really drew me in so as a piece of nostalgia and a bit of just something completely different so little time 1952 morris goring is the nazi right, and i'm trying cool. to think of the name of how many how many uh, stars you give it? i would give it four actually i found it i heard i watched part of it and i thought i'm gonna have to watch this from the beginning i need to watch this all and so i actually watched it again so i thought it yeah a really good piece of filmmaking so i'd give that a so yeah if you have it it might still be on the talking pictures thing or if not i would say yeah check it out so little time for a bit of a, a, a war film but with a completely different twist to it good stuff good stuff I, a romantic might... nazi yeah who would thought i think talking pictures need to have a streaming website yeah <laughs> Yeah. I think, I think we, we were talking a couple of weeks ago how Talking Pictures is run by one family from a shed somewhere mm. in the middle of the country. This, yeah, it can't be that hard to get a streaming website, but anyway, we'll see. It depends on what, what rights they have to it. So, Sean, thank you very much, Sharon. We can always rely on you to sort of tighten us up. So, <laughs> so, so Sean, now, The Five Bloods. This is a film that I recommended to you, and I actually haven't seen it yet. But... But I, I said, it sounds like your kind of thing. So I, I, I apologize. I promise to see it by next week. And then maybe we can have a little bit of a natter next week about what we think, both think about it. But first of all, I, what I, do you think? I, I think that'd be a good idea. Okay. <laughs> I think that'd be a good idea. Okay, Spike Lee. I mean, I like Spike Lee movies. I thought The Black, Black Klansman was one of my favorite films of 2018. Yeah. So anyway, this story basically is about a, a group of five... five uh, Vietnam vets that uh, decide to get together and they go to they go back to Vietnam because they want to find their leader, um, who you know their squad leader. But also there's there's an ulterior motive because they, there was a load of gold as well. So they're using the pretense of trying to find their squad leader's body as a as a sort of um, you know undercover to get this gold. So. And, and and so so like kind of being a Spike Lee movie, I'm guessing that they're all black. They are all black, yeah. The yeah. five bloods, obviously, they're all black. Yeah. They're all black. So the, anyway, so the movie that's basically the story is them them trying to get back um, to places they've been before. Now, it starts off with typical Spike Lee. You've got a lot of old shots of the actual real footage of Vietnam stuff that went on, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And it starts off, and I'm thinking, oh. You're Ooh, yeah, this could be interesting. This could be interesting. This Spike Lee thing, and and then they go over to, to Vietnam and they're getting all ready. And then they have the first. They, they, there's flashbacks in the film. There's flashbacks in the film to what happened. Yeah, yeah. And they're obviously on this mission. And they had the first battle, and I'm like, I'm shouting at the screen. I'm like, Oh my God, Spike, what have you done? You have done absolutely no research on this whatsoever. You've been absolutely <laughs> No research. You've got, they're calling them VC and they're in NBA uniform. Sure, Sean, you've just, you've put yourself on mute. You've put yourself on... <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. So you, you, the last thing okay. we heard was, last thing we heard is that yeah, they're calling them VC NBA and they're NBA uniform. uniform. NBA, yeah, yeah. They've got, they got pith helmets. got the NBA pith helmets and there's hundreds of them and they're just like, you know, anyway, we, I mean, I'm going to wait until you see it because I want to discuss it with you and I'm like, 
I nearly turned it off. I nearly, <laughs> nearly I thought, I thought that's that's absolutely rubbish. What a rubbishy load of nonsensical. And I mean, I love my battle scenes, and that's nonsensical. And I'm like, and then they had a couple of other flashbacks of, of stuff on guy, and they were saying about um, the first the first black soldier to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. And there's a bit of that. I thought, okay, I'll give it a little bit more. I'll give it a little bit more. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Carry on watching it. My, my, you know, things might change. Anyway, they go over there and, I mean... Okay, just, very, just, very... To say, just to say, for, for anybody who... Uh, for those of you who might be listening for the first time as well, Sean has this thing about accuracy, especially in war <laughs> movies. Especially in war movies, don't... and if, it, if it's tactics, if it's uniforms, if it's all that... Don't come in here with your weekly researched nonsense and try and pass Sean something that is like a Hollywood when, it is, when it's not true to reality. Carry on. <laughs> Carry on, yeah. Anyway, so... And I mean, there's other political issues, like like one of the one of the the vets had had a relationship with a Vietnamese girl and had a Vietnamese child. So and he goes and and meets up, and so there's there's because I mean there was a lot of American Vietnamese, you know, children, lot relations, yeah, yeah. relations, yeah. Um, and then I'm like, oh my god! And then they're going on this journey, and they're going on the journey, and they get into a confrontation with someone. Oh, you're bear, you know, you you shot my parents, blah blah blah. And the guy, um, who's the chap who's is it Delroy Lindo? Del- Delroy, Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo, yeah. Oh, he's like some sort of character out of reminded me of Dust to Dawn, Fred Williamson in Dust to Dawn. The ghost. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Armor, armor Green Beret, yeah. Just way, way over the top. Yeah, I know post traumatic stress, but it's like, nah, come on, man, Delroy. <laughs> Get, get yourself together and his son turns up and there's lots of other things and they go and i'm like and it just spike you should be absolutely ashamed this is a terrible 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 movie absolutely awful movie probably made me so angry made me so so angry um and i mean they go in there to rescue a body yeah yeah okay so so far so far it sounds um, a little bit like three kings you know the george clooney ice cube mark Wahlberg films. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's this, this. Oh, okay. yeah. So, so, okay. just far, far superior. Far, okay. far superior. Okay, so, this... so the, so, so, so we do this. We have Delroy Lindo. We have. The, I know. I think. I know. I know. Chadwick Boseman is in it, but I'm guessing he's in the flashback scenes. I, I, I'm surprised he's in it. What, a, what? A, I mean, he's for such a great actor to 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 be in it. I'm. I must. You know. I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know what to say, Tozen. I so, really, really don't know what to say. So, okay, this movie. So... Is it, I'm just going to finish this. This movie is just all over the place. Totally, totally goes from one thing to another. My thought on this is that the directors of Netflix, obviously Spike's just got a load of money. I don't think the Netflix-produced movies are really the ones I've seen that have been produced by some of these great directors. I don't think... I think they just use the money to, you know, make rubbish just to collect the paycheck because this film is... is well, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible film. Oh, all wow. over the place... But acting is awful. Oh, wow. the scenes are awful. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If you're going to go and rescue someone, why would you bury someone and leave them there? <laughs> you know, it's just like, come on, come on, Spike. And I reckon, I reckon he took the paycheck and thought, yeah, they're going to give me a load of money. I'm going to make this film with no research, nothing all, all together. Really, really terrible, awful, awful, awful movie. Oh wow! Okay, cool. The, the, I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and now I tried to keep that under my hat. I was bursting to go like I do. I'm on a, how how, how I mean, many stars? How many stars would you give it? One. 
Oh, good lord! Okay, that that is that that is totally opposite to everything I have heard about this film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this makes me seriously want to go watch this film now. I definitely have to go watch this film now. All right, so that's Sean's surprising, surprising (laughs) (laughs) review of *The Five Bloods*, which was a film, and it makes me it makes me even want, want to see this even more now, because I mean, Sean, once you talk about like you know historical inaccuracy and all that, I. I know that that means that once it's historically inaccurate, the film's already on a on a losing foot. With you, on your mute again. <laughs> I'm not having. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. wow. That yeah. No, it wasn't just that. It was. I mean, I, uh, the rest of it was awful. You know. I mean, sometimes some films, even if they're not accurate, they can have redeeming features. Do you know what I mean? They can they can redeem themselves. But this didn't redeem itself at all. This it just got worse. But. Now moving on to talking about um, talking of people fighting against an establishment of one kind to something else. I said I saw Hamilton, and so Hamilton. Oh yeah. Have Have you guys heard about Hamilton? First of all, Sean. I've Sharon. heard of the musical. I've heard of the musical. Yep. Sharon. Yeah. Yeah, and I know whenever you go on YouTube, it is all over the place. Like, is it Lin Manuel Miranda? Lin Manuel Miranda. Yes. Yeah, and there's a the, the cast. I know they. They filmed several performances, haven't they? And so it's one of these live performances. I understand that people can go and see. Yeah. So but, essentially, yeah. Essentially, Hamilton yeah. is, yeah. Hamilton is the blockbuster musical on Broadway over the, over the last five years. So every now and then, there's one musical that just sort of like blows up, and everybody goes, "You need to go see this." I think Wicked had its moment when everybody was like, "You need to go see Wicked." All that. And Hamilton yeah. is a is. It was on Broadway to begin with. It was off-Broadway, actually. It started off off-Broadway. They workshopped this thing together. The original cast did this. And word of mouth just kept building and building and building until it transferred to Broadway. And then celebrities started saying, oh, my God, you got to see it. And it became a, this massive word of mouth hit. So much so that tickets were traveling and people were, like, saying, I'm not going to go on holiday this year. Why? Because I'm going to buy Hamilton tickets. <laughs> and, and something similar happened when it came over to London. And everybody has just been... It's been yelling Hamilton, 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 written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And the main hook about Hamilton was that it was talking about Alexander Hamilton, who, who is one of the founding fathers of America, that he's one of the ones that doesn't get much, you don't really hear much about him. But even though it's talking about the founding fathers of America, everybody who has a major role in this is not white. So you had a whole bunch of people who were not white playing a whole bunch of white founding fathers talking about that. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, and, and the way he, the the way the, the tagline that they used for it was saying that it's it's a story about America then told about America now. So okay, it, yeah, and that was that was that was the tagline about it. And it the other thing as well as people said it was a it was always referred to as the hip hop musical Hamilton the hip hop musical. So it's told about the founding fathers. Set in, it starts off in, or was it 17, when did it, was it 1776, is it? I think. That's uh, when the War of Independence was, yeah. Yes, exactly. So it starts off at the beginning of the American Revolution, but it starts off with that, but it, the whole, the soundtrack is all hip-hop and R&B, and it has a whole bunch of Hispanic actors, black actors, like, you know, Asian actors. The, 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 white people are in the minority in this show, let me put it that way. Apart from Jonathan Groff, who plays King George III, who comes on for quite a funny song. And, <laughs> Hamil- and Hamilton was this thing that had been hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped that I was worried because this is, they, before the original cast stopped doing it, they filmed it and they'd, they've been hiding this thing for years. They filmed it and they eventually, Disney got the rights for it, paid them $75 million to do this. 
and they got the rights for it and they were going to release it in cinemas in October next year. But with everything that was going on and with theaters being shut and all that, they said, we were going to move it forward. They moved and they released it in time for the 4th of July. And I went into this with such... So it's, it's on Disney+. Plus. If you want to see Hamilton, you can watch Hamilton on Disney+. Plus for a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what it would have cost you to see it live. And I went into this with trepidation. And I went into this with my expectations low. Because I was fully expecting the disappointment of overhype. You guys, you know where it's like when something is hyped so much. That when you're watching yeah. it, you're like... Oh, for goodness sake, this was this is overhyped. This is just totally overhyped. It's happened to me too many times in films where everybody has yelled about something. I've gone to see it and I've gone like, what was all the hype about? Yeah. So I think that was Les, Les Mis for you, wasn't it? You just did not like Les Mis, even though everyone waved about it. Like, yeah. I hated you, it, yeah. You were not sucked into the whole Les Mis whirlwind no. way. No, no, no. I think I would agree with that with them is that that didn't happen with me. It happened with me with uh, the most famous one is Mad Max Fury Road. Didn't happen. Didn't gel with it. And and with with Hamilton and also especially the fact that everybody raves about the music. And I had tried to listen to the soundtrack on Spotify before I had watched it like years ago. And I'd given up on going. I don't think the music is all that. I really, really don't think the music is all that. Mm-hmm. However, when you put the music together with the people on stage it works and it's and it works and it just keeps working and it's it shares something in, in, in similar similarity with Les Mis in that there is pretty much no dialogue in the entire thing the entire thing is sung or the entire the entire thing is is wrapped and there's so there's there's lines in it like immigrants we get the job done <laughs> and stuff that that you, you and it's really really weird because I mean for me watching it at this point in time it was a little bit weird with everything that's going on in America right now it seemed to be it, because Hamilton's talking about one of the founding fathers, and it's almost kind of like saying, "This let's tell you about the great thing this guy did." And it seemed a bit weird to me to have something that is celebrating the birth of America with everything that's going on right now. When you know that, okay, look, that place has problems. Like, no, sure, not everybody, but like, if you're trying to say America, this one of thing, land of the free, and at the same time as you're releasing this thing, there's a Black Lives Matter, oh protest happening probably on the street right outside the theater where this thing originally was but what i liked about it was that they did not shy away from the fact that some of the founding fathers were not great people so it's it's not just kind of like oh oh my god it's great oh my god isn't it wonderful to be american it isn't that show it is these people were people they had an ideal that was worth chasing but they chased it imperfectly i mean thomas jefferson comes off like an absolute Fill in the expletive here. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he probably was. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson comes up like an ab. Like even even his entrance to the show. I mean, George Washington's entrance to the show, love it. Thomas Jefferson's entrance to the show, he he's like so up himself. And his his let me put it this way, his his big number is called "What Did I Miss?" Because while the American Revolution was going on, he was the ambassador to France. So he yeah, he, he was, was in France. So he he, he was just but. Was he responsible for the Louisiana Purchase? I think. What, Do you know? What, you know the Louis. Yeah. You know what, the Louisiana Purchase. What was the Louisiana that? Purchase? That was where they bought like the whole of Middle America off of off of France for a million a million dollars or something. Yeah. And they, they sort of with, within uh, within uh, you know one stroke they sort of more than doubled the size of the United States. So from the original thirteen colonies, 
So I'm pretty sure it was Jefferson was was a thing yeah, called it, it's called the the Louisiana Purchase where they bought it, it off it, of France. It, it sounds like Jefferson because they make a big point of the fact that Jefferson loves the French and Jefferson sort of like links with the French and and there there's there's I think that there's some bits in it. For instance, people have been talking about making a Hamilton film ever since this became a big thing. Let's make a Hamilton movie. Let's make a Hamilton movie. <laughs> and I don't think it would work as a film. That That's my personal thing. Maybe I just don't have enough vision, but I don't think it would work as a film because my, oh, my wife and I were watching it and we were theater geeking out about this because this thing makes me want to get back on stage. It makes me want to get back and do something. And we were theater geeking out about it because some of the things that they do, they have like a double revolving stage. So they have a concentric circles of revolves and there's well, I like all that. What? I like all that. I like that yeah, stuff when yeah, it's sort yeah. of in the round and stuff. Yeah. yeah no, it, it's awesome because the, the fact is that, and they do all these, you know how it is when someone's doing a magic trick. And if they do a magic trick in front of you, it's impressive. But if somebody films themselves and you have cuts and all that, it's not that impressive because it's like, well, no. I can see how you cut it. And I think they, there's a bit, there's one song, which is the point, which is sung by Renny Elise Goldberry as Angelica Shiler, which is for me the point where the, the show takes off. And it, within the song, there's a flashback and they do a flashback to a previous scene that happened. And the way they do the flashback, when you're, look, when you're watching it like on stage, as everything is going on, you're like, oh, now that is magic. There was a bit where they had about like, you know, one woman leaving and another one coming into his life. And the way they do that on stage with the revolve, I'm like, that is magic. And you wouldn't get Ooh. that in a film. So I think, so it's the music itself. I don't think if you listen to the music itself, I don't think it, it doesn't carry you. But when you see the music with the lights, with the acting, with everything, with the attitude that they bring up on stage with Thomas Jefferson being an absolute idiot, then I think you look at it and go, okay, yeah, I can see why this show became such a big deal. And the, but for instance, because obviously Thomas Jefferson, and I'll just end up by saying, and going back to the, one of the first things, which I think that they said they always had from the beginning, and it was one of the big gimmicks, so to say, of Hamilton, which I think is a little bit more than a gimmick, of the fact that obviously in history, all these people were white, but you have all these white people who found in America being played by non-white actors who doing the same roles. Not, and I think that it, it seems like a gimmick, but it does different things to different people. And I think it affects different people in different ways, depending on what, like one of my friends who saw it and he said he loved it as well. He says he absolutely loved it. And he, he said the boy, he had real problems with the fact that you could see a black rapping guy playing Thomas Jefferson because that Thomas Jefferson was like, a was, slave owner. he was a slave owner. He was known for impregnating. Was. Yeah. He was yeah. known for impregnating his slaves. And so there's like, you know, a whole bunch of like, you know, dual heritage Thomas Jefferson's running around. And, and while he was, and he was doing all this while he was walking around saying all men are created equal. So he had serious problems with, with, um, with the fact that Thomas Jefferson is being played by a black guy. It just, it just caused him issues. For me, yeah. it may, for me, I was watching it and I was thinking, this is actually kind of, for, it, it took it off the fact because usually if, you, if you'd had something where it'd been all white people playing the founding fathers of America, it would be all about, oh my God, look how terrible this place is, all these white people, look all the people that they, they're oppressing. This, I think, made you focus on the ideas of what they were going about and made you actually start questioning the ideas of what America was set up for and how it has done. How has America done in actually, in actually doing that? So I really, really like it. I'm not as evangelical as some people are. I'm not as, oh my God, it's the best thing ever. I just, I just think that it's, 
it does something almost it's almost in a way that like you know the people who made hamilton went we're going to do this we're going to cast it with people who are not white and we're going to see what that does i don't think they had a very definite idea that it will do this it will make you see this i think it's everybody who sees it will have a different reaction to it but the main thing it will do is make you think and so I I love the film version or the filmed version of Hamilton, which is up on Disney Plus right now. I would give it four out of five, and I'll say everybody needs to go see it because, um, quite frankly, you will walk away with it with probably something different from me. So, yeah, that's it. But that's really good. Just out of interest, yeah, he purchased it. It was Jefferson, and he purchased it for three million seven hundred and fifty thousand, and it was eight hundred and twenty-eight thousand square miles, traveling, traveling the size of the United States. That's crazy, yeah. What what year was that in? Uh, it was dated eighteen o three, ratified in December eighteen o three. Trans France transferred authority over the region to the United States. <laughs> wow, that's the way to that's the way to that's the way to build a United States, isn't it? The way to build a country. You know, you know, sorry, just the way what you just said it just made me it made me think about because they have these bits where they're arguing about how they're going to set up America and the constitution and all that and whether they're gonna go help France in the French Revolution in the fight in the Napoleonic Wars, whether they're gonna go help France out. And but, yeah, but that 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 whole thing, that scene is done as a rap battle. So you know like you know you know like Eminem in eight mile and all that. So they yeah, give yeah, the yeah. mic they <laughs> give the mic to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson wraps his case and they give the mic to Alexander Hamilton Hamilton wraps his case. And I love it. I was like, Yeah, that that is a rap battle. And I think it's it's a great way of getting history out and it's a great way of just so it I think it, it's a the show is a lot of things to a lot of people and I think even if you watch the they, they have an interview with the original cast saying what did it mean to you to be part of this and some of the stories that they tell about what it meant to people and how some of them one of them was like there's a scene in it where they had four people who are, it had four non-white actors standing on a stage singing about friendship and he's like I've been in musical theater like a decade I have never seen that I have never <laughs> seen that and it's so it's really good so yeah four out of five for that alright so that is Hamilton for those of you who have Disney Plus go get it if you don't have Disney Plus Get one month's free, one month's free trial. Watch Hamilton, then leave. <laughs> right. So it's time that we come on to our cinema interview. Uh, we've had a bit of a longer review section this week because, as I said, this is something I think things are getting back a bit more to normal. So what we've been doing throughout lockdown is that we've been having interviews with people who love films, and this week we have. Ben Jeeps, a friend of mine, a published author, and I think I explained a little bit more about the whole thing in it, but I'll let you, I'll let Ben do it and enjoy the interview with Ben. Hello, Ben, and welcome to the Netflix vs. Cinema podcast interview. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. So, Ben, um, you were, oh, oh, well, we recorded another podcast with you, which was all about us ranting about Hollywood, which should have gone on by the time this episode goes on. Yes. That is Hollywood the series as opposed to Hollywood the place. Yes, Hollywood the TV series on Netflix as opposed to Hollywood the place. Even though the rant about Hollywood the place would be that's a whole other series. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's a whole other series. And um and you we mentioned on there that you're an author. You're an author. I mean, um, I've known you for ages when I was living mm-hmm. in Oxfordshire. That was in oh god, nineteen ninety. Late eight. 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, yes. yeah, I was there from 98. I was there from 98 to 2000. And then I went off, okay. to, then I went off to university. Um, uh, just, yeah, just did the maths. So, and, uh, so, yeah, you're an author. And 
But obviously, we're we're all about TV and cinema and all that kind of stuff. But could you just tell us a little bit about your background as an author? Like, what kind of things have you done? Well, um, I started as a science fiction author. I have had a number of books published, um, most of them professionally published. Uh, many now out of print, so I have republished them um, privately uh, on, yep. on Kindle. Yeah. Um, I now, though, make a living as a full-time ghostwriter, writing stories for other people, which uh, annoyingly makes more money than my own books ever did. But yeah, it's a living. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I feel I have made my statements to the world, and now I have to get by and earn my way. So <laughs> that's my rationale. Is I've made my statement to the world. They decided to listen more when I'm pretending to be somebody else. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I don't know. But I, I'd have to say, because you've written books, like, uh, and I think some, well, I'll give some of the titles out here. So if anybody's listening wants to try and track them down, I think the first one you wrote was um, His Majesty's Starship. That was indeed my, my first, uh, yeah. my first baby. Yeah, His Majesty's Starship. So, yeah, okay, you had His Majesty's Starship, the sequel to that, the Xenocide Mission, which I found, I found an original manuscript of it in my house. Well, I was... I, I was... didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It was so weird. I found an original manuscript. I was like, oh, my God, I've been carrying this thing around with me from house to house for 20 years. I didn't even realize it was here. I'm like, Ben, hurry up and get famous so that this can be worth something. <laughs> well keep going it, 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 it will get there eventually <laughs> so yeah so the Zenocide mission which is a sequel to his majesty's starship um, indeed yeah. yeah then you had uh let's see winged chariot i mean i re- now, now released as time's chariot um uh, that's a time travel adventure yeah a time travel adventure and i like the fact that it's uh, with okay i could go oh oh what was it is it is it new world order the New World Order, yes. The New World um, Order, yeah. Which is, <laughs> that is not a title I would use nowadays. I know so much <laughs> more about nutty conspiracy theories now than I did 20 years ago when I wrote it. Um, I, I, have, I have come across this listed as a resource on web pages by, you know, published by Illuminati or other people who believe in strange conspiracy theories. Oh, no way. <laughs> um, I even got an email once from someone saying, can I interview you about your book, The New World Order? <laughs> um, fortunately, I looked them up before responding and saw exactly where they're coming from. So you know, I replied, yeah, you can interview me, but you ought to know this is a book about alternate history sector in the English Civil War. And uh, yeah, I got a polite brush off after that because there, there are some things that even the conspiracy theorists don't particularly want to go into and science fiction is one of them <laughs> okay, that's hilarious that's hilarious and, and okay and recently so a bit of you recently you handed me some of the books that i hadn't caught up with because um uh, we're, we're out of touch for a while and then I go, we go back in touch okay and, yeah well my, my last uh Growing up, science fiction was Phoenicia's Worlds. I, I was always, I was wondering, I was reading the entire book and I was figuring out how do you pronounce that. <laughs> I was going, fit, yeah, fit, a bit fit. like the Zenocide mission. I do like to put in words that people don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> so. I, I was, I was like, how, how do you pronounce that? Is that it's, it's okay? So yeah. I, I was like, Phoenicia, 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 Phoenicia. There's a couple of. Um, 
young adult fantasy, contemporary fantasy novel set in present-day Salisbury. That's the teen, the witch, and the thief, and the comeback of the king. Yep. And a pure historical adventure, HMS Barabbas. There's another one of those funny words, but hopefully people know how to pronounce that one. Uh, which is a sequel to Treasure Island, what Jim Hawkins did next. Oh, cool. Did, don't you run into sort of like you know problems with using a character by by Robert Louis Stevenson? Doesn't does his estate come up and go? Hang on a second, we own Jim Hawkins. Uh, uh, Treasure Island has been out of copyright since 1960 something. I checked. So you can do whatever you want with it. I can, and just to make it more and more mine, I bunged in lots of original characters, all of whom were invented by me. <laughs> so, uh, if any, so if anybody tries to do a uh, a sequel to your book, you're coming for them. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so as an in-joke, just for a bit of humor, every male character that I created was named. I, I borrowed their name from an actor who has played Jim Hawkins. <laughs> Which is why one of the baddies is Mr. Bale, because uh, Christian Bale played Jim Hawkins in uh, opposite. Opposite Charlton Heston as Long John Silver, oh, which is a version that? I haven't seen. <laughs> which? Oh, good lord! Which film was that? Uh, it's called. It was Treasure Island. Uh, Thirty years ago, forty. Even, and Christian Bale was still a kid at the time. Oh, good lord! Good lord! And you have Kevin Bishop for Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> there, I think there's a Mr. Bishop in there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As one of the lesser characters. Okay, but yeah, but I think a lot of the, especially the sci-fi novels that I've read, they're the kind of things that I always, I've always thought would make brilliant, brilliant TV series in the Battlestar Galactica sort of like vein. Because finally, you should mention that. Um, <laughs> His Majesty's Starship has been optioned. Wait, wait, wait! What? Say, say that again. You broke up. I, I think it was His really... Majesty. Yeah, His Majesty's Starship has been optioned. Yeah, is... uh, this was a guy who. He was given it back in 1998 when it was first published, and yeah. he was a kid. He was in the target age group, and he grew up. He's now in his 30s. He has his own production company, and thought of this brilliant book he was given as a kid. Oh, uh, because he because he's Canadian. Yeah, uh, and it, for baffling reasons, I still don't understand the American publisher thought it should be called The Ark. Because <laughs> uh, the name of the starship is Ark Royal. Yes. Yeah, because it's His Majesty's starship. What else would the United Kingdom call their first ever starship? Yeah. Uh, and the Americans thought that, yeah, if you want a good old-fashioned space opera with starships, you look for a book named after a big wooden boat. <laughs> so it was called The Ark. So anyway, he emailed me to say, I really loved your novel, The Ark. Do you mind if I option it? And uh, my response was basically, do what you like, as long as you call it by its proper name. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as I say, it is a long, 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 stony path, as you know. Yes, yeah. Before but the you... is, it's, been, it's been optioned, the hope is there, and yeah, I seeing what can be done with series like The Expanse and Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Should it be made, uh, I have high hopes that it could be really good. Well, yeah, because I think I think the, the that world, the world that you have in His Majesty's Starship and Xenocide Mission, I really, really love it. I love the fact that it isn't... It isn't... Um, and as much as I know a lot of people love Star Trek, I love that it, it, it isn't Star <laughs> Trek. 
I love that it, it isn't. Uh, it, it's uh, when you were talking uh, earlier about how when you have a book, the budget is unlimited. I love yeah. that, the fact that the the alien race in the book, who the Rusties, I believe you call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rusties. Like the the description of them is just so like nothing I have seen on TV before. That I'm like, yeah, the special effects budget will be huge. <laughs> that, that was deliberate. I I was just in my head. I was just getting Trek alien after Trek alien after Trek alien. Yeah, a human in latex makeup. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, put them on all fours. <laughs> and sure enough, now I can imagine them as aliens. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, it is, uh, and did you notice I put seatbelts on my spaceship so that when it's hit during a battle, <laughs> people do not get thrown across the room? <laughs> the Enterprise has inertial compensators. My starship has seatbelts. Guess which one works best? <laughs> I have to admit, I did not notice that. I did not notice that, but that, but that is a very you kind of thing. It's, it's a very you. It's. I, I think like even when you do your sci-fi high concept stuff, you're like this thing still has to be grounded. It still has. The, yes. the, it's like there needs to be somebody in this world who is thinking about the boring things that people don't expect when you hear star, uh, science fiction, like seatbelts. Then yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and, and I just I just think that it is oh uh, the like the, and I know that there's other things that you did like for instance Phoenicia's world. There's a bit that I absolutely <laughs> love the fact that the the it's kind of I, I think Phoenicia's world especially because the 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 roster of characters for instance is just so diverse and the fact that mm-hmm. there is even a bit where. About there's the only bit that is set on Earth in that book is set in Africa, and yeah, you, and you talk about how like you know the characters civilization has grown up from, and I'm like, this is good. This is different from a lot of the stuff that you see. So that, and I was going to say that like I was talking about when you're going to hurry up and get famous so that I can, so that this this copy can be worth something, and uh, and I'm thinking you know I was supposed to go. When am I going to get off my butt and actually start making films so that maybe one day I'll be able to make this genocide mission as a TV show, the way it should, <laughs> the way it should be because it really shouldn't be a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really shouldn't be a film. But anyway, so this is Ben. This is Ben. So this is who we're talking to. We're talking to an author who has uh, an experienced author. Um, and now we're going to talk to you about films. And we're going to talk to you about, right. and I know that, yeah. And I always find it interesting when you have one particular medium that you love so much, a bit like with me mm-hmm. in film, then you have to go and talk about another medium and talk about, uh, and see whether it just devolves into, well, mine's better. But <laughs> <laughs> so what we're doing, what we're doing during this, uh, this series of interviews is that we're asking people four questions. We're asking them, um, what was the first time you ever saw at the cinema? What was the last time you caught at the cinema before lockdown? Uh, yeah. Um, why do you think cinema is a thing? What is the deal? What is the big deal with cinema? And what are you mm-hmm. most looking? F- yeah. What are you most looking forward to seeing when you get back to when cinemas reopen? So let's kick off with the first one. Tell us the story okay. of the first time you ever went to the cinema. Uh, that would have been to see Yellow Submarine. <laughs> I remember. I knew the song. Because <laughs> we were talking, guys, about five or so. Yeah, four or five. Um, I knew the song, but I remember being picked up from school by my mother, 
and her saying, do you want to go and see Yellow Submarine? So, yeah, why not? Um, I'm assuming that actually it was her who wanted to see Yellow Submarine. <laughs> and, uh, she knew that there was no other circumstances under which you'd be able to do it. So uh, we went to see it. Um, I understood probably about 1% of it. But I can still remember it, the psychedelic colours. I can remember laughing at bits like one of the Beatles is walking along and one of the Yellow Submarine's periscopes pokes up over a fence, I think, and looks around. I can remember that. I can remember the psychedelic changes in colour. Um, I can't remember any of the jokes about Einstein and all that. I, I have talked about this with my mother since, and you know, she's convinced she is the only person in the audience who is actually enjoying it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> understanding it and laughing in the right places uh, to all the other kids are just watching the pretty colours and the fact that it's a cartoon and a well, tree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was my first cinema movie. <laughs> I, so, okay, so you say you still remember it all these years later because um, uh, Yellow Submarine, when was that released? That would Okay, let's see, this is the height of the Beatles, so it must have been the 60s. Oh, let's see. I have IMDb open in a browser. I can tell you in just a moment. Uh, yeah, it's a marine 1968. In that case, I can't be picked up from school because I'd have been three. So maybe it's been <laughs> maybe it's been repeated. Repeated, maybe. yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Okay, so it was being repeated. Uh, but okay, so. Well, you still remember it all these years later. So do you think that it made any... Uh, this being your first cinema experience, was it like a, oh my word, I love going to the cinema, I want to do this again? Or was it kind of like a, hmm, yeah, whatever. Let me go... Possibly. Go I mean, it taught, taught me what the cinema was. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, so I have just remembered, just a proof that I did not fully grasp the Yellow Submarine concept. I had a toy Yellow Submarine. Uh, if, as he pushes along the ground, the periscopes went round and round and round. Yeah. And there were two red dots at the front. I remember asking my mother if those were torpedo tubes, and she said, I don't think the Yellow Submarine really does torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, they, they are peace, peace and love torpedoes. That's what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can remember, and it still does speak to you that just the. Feeling because soon after that we must have gone into the Jungle Book, okay. and I we started. We, I think we came in late because we came in right in the early scene when Bagheera is discussing Mowgli's future and how he needs to be taken back to his people. Yeah, yeah. And I can't, I can't remember who did the acts of the big era, but it was very resonant, very commanding. And I just remember coming into this dark room with this commanding, resonant voice speaking, and that hooked me. Oh, wow. For some reason. It really grabbed me and you know, made, made me pay attention. Uh, and there still is something about uh, the dark room, the amplified voice you are transported mm. in, in a way you never will be watching a movie on the TV in your front. Yeah. All right. So, okay. You're jumping onto another question. 
and, yes, and, well, uh, and we we just before we jump, I think we need to give the we need to give that sonorous voice its due. That was Sebastian Cabot who played Bagheera. Okay, I was about to say Ben Kingsley. I was like, no, 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 a couple of decades too 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 late. Yes, <laughs> a couple of decades too late. And, and then I was about to go, oh no, no, wasn't it John Sanders? I said, like, no, no, he was Shere Khan. Yeah, sure. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. All right, cool. So you're you're beginning to go on to what is usually our third question, but quite frankly, we don't pay attention to maths on this on this podcast. So you begin to jump onto what is it that you know makes cinema great? Why is cinema a thing? Why why is it that it was created over I think it's over a hundred years ago now, and it's it still carries on in pretty much the same format as it did all those years ago it is an interesting example of the power of tradition i think i i i can remember when you know, the longer films would have an intermission yeah i can remember the ice cream lady standing at the front with her tray yeah this is a this is still a treat i think this my my parents grew up under wartime rationing um, and the attitude that was instilled into me was still having sweets, ice cream, anything like that was unusual. It was a treat. It was not something you just pop out to the shop and do, even yeah. though I've been able to do that for most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, going to the cinema was like going to the theatre. It was an outing. You didn't quite put on your special clothes, so I suppose all the generations might. And that tradition still lasts, even though nowadays there's absolutely no reason to buy a five-gallon bucket of popcorn or whatever, as people do. Yeah. Um, it is just tweaking the thing in our DNA that wants a bit of ceremony and ritual and a special time. Oh, wow. And they, and they are designed aren't they they're, they're designed for comfort you can sink down into that seat even me i i'm six foot five more than cinemas they have adequate seating for someone like me yeah and look up at the screen and lose yourself uh i can now actually wind back if you like to link to the second question you're going to ask me what what was the last film i sold for lockdown yeah which was the rise of skywalker uh, and say say what you like about any of the prequels, um, Phantom Menace and all that. Sitting in a cinema as the lights went out and the 20th century Fox music came up, followed by the opening chord of the Star Wars theme. And it had been, what, 20 years since I last saw a Star Wars movie? Yeah, yeah. But instantly taken back to childhood. And that is still, that is a moment that has been with every Star Wars film since, even if the, the subsequent two hours is a severe disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's worth paying money for that experience. <laughs> okay, you see. Now, um, in, in a conversation we were having earlier, I was talking about how I pretty much put a moratorium on me talking about Batman versus Superman. And I think The Rise of Skywalker is another one of those films that, <laughs> yes. that I, I could whinge about all day. <laughs> I could whinge about all day. Well, yeah. I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it more when I first saw it in 1977 and 1980 <laughs> and 1983. <laughs> 
good lord. Uh, you're about you you you're threatening to pull the rant out of me, Ben. You're, you're threatening to pull the rant out of me because oh, but the problem is we've done. As I said, we've been doing these interviews, and on, I was listening back, and I realized on two of those interviews, they devolved into me ranting about the rise of Skywalk. <laughs> Okay, let's so, not go there. So, so, <laughs> so uh, oh, good lord! Moving on yeah, I I agree with you. Let me put it that way. I agree with you. All, all, okay. with, with the difference being that I didn't enjoy it at all. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but yeah. So what you were saying about that 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 idea of us of of the experience and paying the money to just have that experience of the 20th century Fox followed by the first strains of like, you know, the first couple of notes of John Williams, star Wars score. Uh, mm. Yeah. Be, so people, so, okay. You're talking about the experience, right? And it's all about the experience. And I think nowadays people are talking a lot more about how people are not buying things like the, how the high streets are game boarded up because people are more willing to spend money on an experience. And at the same time, yeah. people talk about, there's a whole bunch of things in that. There's people, people talk about the fact that, um, uh, cinema tickets are so expensive now, but like you know, they would spend they rather spend that money on an escape room. But there's still that experience you talk about, and then if it's about the experience, people are people are complaining about smaller films like your rom coms, your like you know your your art house movie from like you know yeah. uh, an unknown Polish director getting getting squeezed out. But the problem is that they don't give you that as much of an experience as something as a Star Wars or as a as an Avengers or something like that. So, Indeed. so what is, and only because I am playing totally to stereotypes and saying you're an author, so you're bound to like, you're bound to like the small movie made by the Polish unknown director that is, you're bound to like that film. So if you're saying it's all about the experience, then what happens, then what happens to those films? <laughs> because they don't give you that experience. Um, for that, I think I am admiring the craftsmanship. Um, I mean, like recently, or was it earlier this year, we watched The Seventh Seal, oh, yeah. which, as a gripping narrative, is deadly bloody dull. <laughs> and extremely Swedish. No, no one raises their voice above a monotone. But you can just admire the way it is made. It's like, and listening to a good symphony I don't just hear the tune though the tune does help yeah I can hear the different instruments and hear how they interact if I'm watching a film I can think oh I see what they did there all right yes um we watched some like it hot recently as well which oh, yeah. is just a brilliant brilliantly told an utter farce of a story yeah brilliantly told as a movie it wouldn't work as a book it works as a movie. Yeah, true. And and it wouldn't work if it was about two women trying to escape the mall and hiding in a women's van. It only works because it's two men, and it only, only works because those two men are Jack there when they're Tony Curtis. Yeah, that is true, yeah. <laughs> it is being aware of the mechanisms. What else have we watched? This so just having a, oh, yeah, Citizen Kane, of course. You watched that film, and... It is just full of cinematic tricks. Which one? Apparently, oh, Simpson uh, Kane. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Orson Welles' cinematographer specifically asked to work with him because there were all these tricks he wanted to try. 
And Orson Welles, being a theatre director, who never actually made a movie, just said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and there are so many things, like um, uh, the scenery, which is designed to be pulled apart the moment it was out of uh, out of lens shot, just yeah. so that the camera could appear to move through it. And yeah. So on. And scenes Deep focus where, and all that kind of stuff. Yes, actors appear in reflection. Uh, you you realise someone must have dug a hole in the floor to put the camera down there because you're looking right up at Orson Welles as he walks past. Um, yeah, so admiring the craftsmanship, which is I, I've never really seen a good CGI movie because <laughs> you could have a billion exploding spaceships on screen. Whoopee. Whereas you watch the Battle of Endor in... Uh, was it Return of the Jedi? Yeah. yeah. Every single model was there on screen. It was doing something, even if it was only for a couple of seconds before it was exploded in a slight puff, which they then added the explosion sound to. Yeah. Every single thing you saw on screen actually happened in one form or another. So does that mean that um, you, when you say you haven't seen a good CGI film, are you including Avatar in that? Okay, that's the exception that proves the rule. Um, <laughs> that, that that was a crap story, but that was very good. That was, yeah, was pushing the story. that was pushing the limits of what you could do. Yeah, and I I think some of the hardware and that they deliberately made look clunky to make it look like models to latch on to, you know, the, the part of your brain that says this has to be real, which is a trick that um, the Star Wars prequels didn't. Didn't manage. <laughs> well, okay. So, but um, when you talk about that, so how about something like Toy Story? How about animation that's all computer generated? Oh, I, I love the Toy Story movies. Um, again, yeah, okay. I, I was a bit too bland when I said I've never seen a good CGI movie. So I've never seen a good movie that re- relies primarily on CGI effects would be. Like it, okay, Toy yeah. Story. I, I love the stories, and again, you you can see the fun they're having and the tricks they throw in. Likewise, um, the Incredibles. Oh yeah, and the Incredibles too. Um, yeah, you can tell you're in the hands of people who know what they're doing and yeah. care and and respect your intelligence enough that you're to assume you're going to get it. Yes. Yes, yeah, I I couldn't couldn't agree more with that. I think that's one of the things I love about. All the people who eventually got swallowed by the big, massive conglomerate that is Disney. So, <laughs> so yes. I think Pixar, Marvel—that's what I love about them—is the fact that they go, "No, we we expect you to be intelligent, and we expect you to get what it is that we're doing." So, yeah. I think I think Pixar and Marvel have made some. When you consider that they're talking about what is supposed to be a kid, a kids' medium, and comic books, that they they have they have told some incredibly adult stories. In, yes. Yeah, they've talked about incredibly grown-up stories that make you go, "Whoa, how?" They certainly they, have. Yeah, it's like, how are they getting away with this? <laughs> how are they doing? How, yes. how, are, yes. they, how yes. are they making this work? <laughs> and it's. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, but, but, so, but you're talking about those smaller films. You're talking about the Citizen Kane. You're talking about the Seven Seal and all that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but. Do you think that those sort of films still have a place in a cinema on a big screen where you have to go and if you don't have like a cinema card, you have to pay up up to like fifteen pounds for? Do you think they still have a place in there, or do you think that you can still appreciate those that craft 
with a big massive TV on a projection on a wall in your house? I think you probably can. You're, you're never going to fully recreate the experience of seeing them as they originally appeared in the cinema. But to some extent, that's good because I can remember the days when smoking was still allowed in cinemas and it was assumed there was an invisible force field down the centre aisle. You could smoke on the left and not smoke on the right, and that was fine. <laughs> um, and the seats were manky and everything. So, yeah. Um, there could be. I mean, I think people still do go to see these things in cinemas. Uh, it is still possible to do if you're prepared to spend the money. Yeah. But you, but you don't have to. So really, we have the best of both worlds nowadays. Well, it, it's and, but there's also the fact. I mean, we, we were talking a little bit about the the economics of Hollywood in the spoiler rant we did about Hollywood the TV series, and yeah. the that essentially it doesn't work for the people have talked about the fact that if you look at the rom com, one of the episodes we were we're talking about, we got our hands on some market research that a friend of mine sent me because she's a market researcher, and there was a whole bunch of stuff about cinemas. And they spoke about the fact that the rom-com has pretty much disappeared from cinemas because those sort, yeah. of, those sort of films, they think about the amount of money they have to spend to market it and do all that kind of stuff. And in the end, they're not going to have enough people watch the film in a cinema for to make their money back. So those films end up on Netflix. They end up on Amazon Prime. They end up on Apple TV. But they don't end up in the cinema anymore. So the smaller films, the smaller, more left-field experimental films are ending up on streaming services um, as opposed to unless you have something like Parasite which everybody just kind of goes oh my god <laughs> which, which I haven't seen yet you haven't seen uh, okay I will say yeah, I will I say nothing like, more about Parasite there until you see yeah, it because you, you, like, need, uh, you need to know nothing watched, before you see that film yeah. like we watched The, the Two Pokes um, last yes. year and yes, it, which was a Netflix thing wasn't it which two brilliant world class actors so yeah an interesting point that probably would not have worked so well on the big screen as it did well it, it would not have worked as a financial prospect i think no. yeah i think it would still have been a great film just but financially mm. it would have it would most likely have lost the studio money yes actually to re rewind to the last question that also does actually depend very heavily on cgi effects but because those CGI effects are recreating the Sistine Chapel and things like that, you don't realize it's CGI. I actually yeah. stop to think, hang on, did they really film that in the Sistine Chapel? <laughs> hang on, um, did the Vatican? So, again, that, that, that kind of cleverness, that, I, I'm absolutely fine by that. Just prepared to sit back and enjoy. Well, yeah, I, I have to admit, like, for instance, Forrest Gump. I think Forrest Gump was one of the first films I remember seeing where the, oh, yeah. the computer effects were not in your face. Yes, <laughs> the computer, and I remember that people were saying those are the computer effects. I was like, no, they couldn't. Oh, wait, wait, actually, yeah, hang on a second here. Yeah, it must have been. How else would they have? Done and it, and he started to realize, yeah, yeah, yes. So you're like, how else would they have done? Yet yeah, that must have been the way. I have definitely seen Gary Sinise with legs. Therefore, yes. that, that must have <laughs> yeah. been a computer effect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's go to the final question. The final question is. At the moment when we're recording this, they are talking, and I know there's going to be an announcement made later today, and the fact that Cineworld Cinemas has already announced the date that they are going to be reopening, and the fact that Odeon has said, you can watch Tenet in Odeon from the 24th of July, makes you think right. that, <laughs> it makes you think that, uh, yeah, these people, they are pretty much, they're saying that we're thinking that uh, the Prime Minister might, uh, might announce later today that cinemas are reopened. 
And I'm like, uh, I wonder what gives you that idea. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, what are you most looking forward to when cinemas reopen? What are you most looking forward to seeing in a big screen? Well, coincidentally, um, a film I was or put back to this autumn anyway because of COVID. Uh, I think the next Bond movie. Oh yes, yes, no time to die. Again, Bond movies are best watched, at least for the first time, on the big screen. Uh, because they're designed for it. Yeah. yeah. They are just shot in the assumption that you'll watch them on this massive great screen uh, several metres away. Yeah. And whether it be good or bad, I don't know. I think Casino Royale was one of the best Bond movies ever. It was immediately followed by Quantum of Solace, which was one of the worst Bond movies ever. Um, so there's just no knowing what, what you do with Daniel Craig. <laughs> um, uh, I live in hope. Yeah, well, I have, to, I have to say, I know Quantum of Solace gets a real, really bad... Essentially, Quantum of Solace is, is a whipping boy. It is an absolute whipping boy of the Bond franchise. And yeah. I maintain that I don't think it's as bad as everybody makes out. Like, for instance, I put it this way. When I see the amount of abuse Quantum of Solace gets compared to the amount of praise Skyfall gets, I don't think the gap is that wide. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as okay. wide. Um, well, I'll go with that. If you can cut off the first 10 minutes of Quantum of Solace, it suddenly becomes much better. Yes. Um. Even, but as it starts, it is an absolute mess. Even if you know it follows on from Casino Royale, you just have no idea what's happening because it's shot for people with attention deficit disorder. And <laughs> the intelligence, I'm sorry, that is not to do down people with ADHD. Okay, it is shot for people with the attention span of fleas. Yeah. Um, no shot lasts more than about half a frame, and yet this is meant to be a life and death fight. Yeah, that's that's the bit of the Can, beginning in the in the car chase. Yeah, C- compare this with the highlight of one of the best ever Bond films from Russia with Love, which is a fight to the death between Sean Connery and Robert Shaw on the Orient Express. Yeah, and you know this is to the death. Uh, every blow counts. Every shot, you know exactly what is happening to who and who is doing what. And you are on the edge of your seat because it is obvious that Red Grant is the better fighter. Yeah. Bond only wins that fight because of his magic box of in, in the briefcase. Yeah. Um, and that is gripping. I could watch that over and over again. And I wish you ever made Quantum of Solace had also watched that and realized <laughs> this is something you do a screen fight. <laughs> All right. So, what do you think about the homage to that train fight that they did in Spectre between Daniel Craig and David Bautista? Ah, <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> they've had they've had other train fights, and uh, Roger Moore had a couple, didn't he? Live and Let Die, and uh, yeah. at least one other. Um, oh, yes, why you love me? And yeah, it, it was okay. But they're always ever only ever going to raise memories of the original. So if you're going to do a homage, at least be as good as or better than. Otherwise, just find another way to fill five minutes. <laughs> yeah, go do something else. Go do yes. something else. 
<laughs> All right, cool. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, here, let's let's hope that No Time to Die ends up being a fitting swan song for Daniel Craig, because I... uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be his last. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I really hope so, and I really hope that there's because in the trailer for No Time to Die, there is that one shot, and you sh- you should know what shot I'm talking about. It involves a it involves a motorcycle, and it involves a wall. And that one shot that actually made my mouth go whoa! It made my my jaw drop open. I was like, I hope there's more oh. stuff. Like, I hope there's more stuff like that in the film because if there's more actually, stuff like if if they've just shown us their best that. shot, then hmm. oh good lord, it might not be. It might, it might be a bad bad two and or something hours because Bond films are never longer and shorter than two hours. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, harsh. I'll look that up with interest. All right, well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, bed, and we'll, we'll chat to you soon. Okay. And that was Ben. Once again, Ben, thank you very, very much for joining us on the podcast. So, Sean, Sharon, what did you think about the interview with Ben and what he had to say? Do you want to start first, Sharon, or do you want me to? You go. Star Wars. All right, Star Wars rears its ugly head. And (laughs) I was quite interested. Yeah. So, I mean, that that seems to pop up. But interesting with James Bond. Interesting. I I mean, I know it was a bit later on in the interview, but because... he mentioned Robert Shaw on the train. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that is, that is, that's well, Promotion with Love is my favorite Bond movie. And um, some of the stuff he was saying about the other Bond movies was, I, I found that really, really interesting. And, and I mean, if, if someone's got the rights to that book of his, which, which, what was it called? The, the Ark oh, or something? His, is it? His the maje- no, no, his, the his Ark maje- was the, his, battlesh- oh, his, ma- his, maje- his Majesty's Starship. His Majesty's Starship. Yeah, that'd Starship. be pretty cool. The, the, the Ark was the the Ark was the um Ark American was title was the American yeah. title that he hated. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is not surprising. So. Yeah, but no. Uh, uh, but as I said, yeah. If if you, I, I think I have a copy of it. I should. I think I actually have a signed copy of His Majesty's Starship somewhere. And uh, as I said, I I I'm actually looking. Yeah, I can see the. The original manuscript of the Xenocide mission right beside me right now, which was the th- was the sequel to His Majesty's Starship. I I really like the worlds he built in that. Yeah, mm, yeah it's, it sounds quite interesting. Sounds he sounds a really really interesting guy actually. Yeah. Um, so and what he was saying about the Jungle Book as well. That I, I mean I like that a little bit because they used the same voices, didn't they? And I think the guy what, who did, who's the guy who played uh, Baloo, Baloo Panther? That was somebody Kabot, wasn't it? Bruce Cabot, something like that. Oh, who played the Panther? I remember doing. Yeah. I remember, doing, I remember looking up. Um, I remember looking this up. Let's see, Jungle Book. While while we're trying to find out who played Bagheera in the original Jungle Book, Sharon, what, what about you? What do you What do you think? What do you think, boy? Yeah, I thought it was an interesting first film that he, his mum took him to see, Yellow Submarine. <laughs> yeah. Because on the yeah. surface, you would think, hey, that's great. Let's take a child to a cartoon. Um, but this is a cartoon unlike any other cartoon isn't it and you could understand how that would sort of have an impression because it was yeah it's a it's an extraordinary film <laughs> to sort of introduce someone to cinema to but i suppose it's quite a good one in that in that environment you can be completely immersed in this lunacy and that you don't understand all of it it doesn't really matter it's because you know it, it's surrounding you completely so yeah that's an interesting choice the fact that his mum was he always did say his mum was the only one in the cinema who actually understood some of the jokes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yellow submarine. yeah have you seen have you seen yellow submarine toes i have not seen yellow submarine i've uh, only ever heard about I think, it yeah. 
I, th- I think I've, was, only yeah, seen, I've only seen bits. I've only seen bits of of every the blue meanies and the glove. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that was made for because I mean, obviously, when it was made, it was made in the time for for people taking crazy drugs, wasn't it? Really. That's uh, yeah. and I think it's a it's a film for. For, 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 for dropping some acid and sitting in the cinema and going, whoa, what is that? With the, old, with the with the blue meanies and the giant glove. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I thought I thought the whole idea was that you didn't need to drop acid to you just feel like you dropped acid after watching it. <laughs> well, probably yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I've only ever seen it on TV. I never caught it at the, the cinema. So, but, yes, um, I've only seen it on television, and I probably didn't understand yeah. half of what's going on. I thought, no. oh. Well, I, I don't think it's supposed to make any sense, to be honest with you. I think it's a pretty, no. pretty. Um, but there's some good tunes in it. I like the the fall on the hill, and there's a there's a few a few memorable characters in it. So yeah, yeah. I think I watched it primarily because of the music, and then I thought, what was that all about? <laughs> so it's an interesting, <laughs> an interesting introduction for cinema for him, anyway. So yeah, yes. definitely. So yeah. Uh, Sebastian Cabot. Is the person who Sebastian played Sebastian Cabot? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian Cabot, please. It is. A, it is a distinctive voice, isn't it? It is. A, it I mean, is, it is. Yeah. Well, actually, in the whole of that sixty-seven Jungle Book, like like you mentioned, you know, you've got um, Sheer Khan, haven't you? And George you know, Sanders, yeah. George Sanders and Phil so, Harris. Phil Harris, yeah. He, he was in. He did most of the Disney stuff, didn't he? he, he did, was yeah, he like? He did. He did Little John in. Um, he did Little John in Robin Hood. In the, Thomas, in the Thomas O'Malley in the alley in yeah. the Aristocats. I just remember and, uh, him saying, saying the line, "Hey, who's driving this flying umbrella?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. He, he had a great voice, had an absolutely great voice. So, um, all right, cool. So, anything else from from from, from Ben's interview? Um. I'm just, just running through really. my head the films you've talked about Bond talked about some of the other films yeah but I mean we could talk a bit more in depth about Bond because I mean he's you know it is it is interesting with Bond movies because I mean I I basically hate everything except Live and Let Die with Roger Moore so I can't stand <laughs> Roger Moore I don't like don't like don't, don't like Pierce Brosnan um, I don't mind this Daniel Craig I think he's he's pretty good and I did like I did like uh, the guy who did the two uh, Dalton Timothy Dalton Dalton I, I'd like Timothy Dalton and obviously Sean Connery but yeah yeah Roger as far I mean I remember just like with Roger Moore going so well I think we've had this conversation I think when we've done our shows and when we've done other things and when it comes to Roger Moore you know hey Roger give me give me emotion yes you know just raise raise an eyebrow so but yeah, you, it, it just got silly to to me James Bond got really 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 stupidly silly and i love that with the with the new ones where he goes you know when he just gives him something he says what did you expect exploding pen james yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean there's a what did you expect double seven or six exploding pen yeah <laughs> that's it yeah yeah so because yeah. i mean the first two the first two bomb films are are really really just spy movies you know and then the gradually yeah. the gadgets get more and more extreme and well, and they they, get as, as it goes, as it goes more into it, you, they begin to st- get up, set up a formula. So, so I, th- I think the first two ones are like you know spy movies, Cold World thrillers. Then Goldfinger is where you begin to see the formula 
coming where yeah. he goes to Q and he gets the gadgets. Then he goes through the whole thing and then it and you the or you have the car because that's I think Goldfinger's the first place that Aston Martin shows up. And yeah. so yeah, so that's where you begin to see the formula set in and then it carries on so that now there are certain things that you expect from a Bond film. And it's and well, I mean we spoke about this and I think it's a bit like with comics, how Batman, Batman has changed a lot since his first yeah. thing from being a detective to a bit in the, I think in, it must have been in the 60s when it was extremely colorful and camp and it was not serious camp, at yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it, and I think, so there is this, there is a flexibility to some of these sort of mythological characters that you, that you can do that with them. They can represent different times. They can represent the time in which they were made. So for me, I love Roger Moore. I love Roger Moore. He was the first Bond I saw. I remember yeah. when I actually. I remember the first the first um, Sean Connery Bond movie I saw was um, was Goldfinger. I remember sitting down there going, "Who is this guy?" What? <laughs> and I remember, and I know, it, I know it is absolute sacrilege to so many people. I remember sitting down there going, "Who is this guy?" He can't be walking around telling people he's James Bond. He isn't James Bond. Roger Moore is James Bond. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking because I did not at that stage I had not I did not understand that there were different characters who had played James Bond. I thought this was some horrible knockoff. <laughs> so, but, but at the same time, at the same time, I do agree that Roger Moore was in the role too long. I agree that the films became silly. And that's why one of one of my favorite Bond films is For Your Eyes Only, which was a point at which in the Roger Moore years they went, it's got it's gotten silly, and they pulled things back, and they so For Your Eyes Only is the closest thing to a Roger Moore Sean Connery movie, Roger Moore right. Sean Connery type Bond, and I there, there's hardly any gadgets in it. There's it's all about it's all about it's you can see Bond having to use his brain, and so I really really love For Your Eyes Only. And I just really, really hope that No Time to Die, whenever we get to see it, when Odeon and Cineworld and film studios have finished playing their game of chicken and we actually get <laughs> films again, I, I, I actually just really, really hope that it's a good, good film. I hope that it's a good film for Daniel Craig. I hope it's a good film for the franchise. And I hope that they've managed to figure out how to get around the more problematic things about Bond. For me, mostly the way he treats women. But, but that's I, one of the issues I've had with Bond. I have to say, yeah. over the years, I've watched the, the the Daniel Craig Bond because even though there is there's always like a, a couple of will, willing ladies in it, they don't assume that he's like irresistible to all yes. women. Yes, Whereas it's the, earlier incarnations, you, 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 it's just like you know he just has to raise an eyebrow and it's like oh I'm so oh Bond. James oh James yeah. <laughs> and in fact you think in real life by by that his age you think you'd be a Fox-ridden, horrible old wreck of the man, <laughs> and you, you wouldn't want to go anywhere near him. But, <laughs> but so, yes, our carriage. Daniel Craig has like you know drawn that aspect back a bit, so you don't feel quite so sort of you know ick when you when you watch the film. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I'm, I, a great, I'm not. I'm a great fan anyway. To be honest with you. No, I, I think with Daniel Craig as well, there's, there's a few uh, stronger stronger women lead now characters in there. Like, I mean, Money Penny, they've changed Money Penny into to quite yeah. a bit of a, you know, quite a bit of a, a hard one. Whereas in the Sean Connery runs, it was always, oh, James, you know, can was, you go? She just you showed know, up at the beginning, flirted with James for five minutes. Yeah. And then... That's but, it. That's, yeah, that was her role. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I don't feel like the Daniel Craig movies have escaped that entirely. 
I know there's no, not entirely. There was a bit in Skyfall. There's one particular female character that the treatment of her, I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> and, and um, yeah, but it's uh, so yeah. I don't think that they've escaped that entirely, but uh, but yeah, it, it's what it's it is. Getting better. But okay, so but one final thing I like to say about something that uh, I'm not sure because I, as I said in there, I've done another interview with um with Ben where because Ben you know the film the TV series Hollywood that I was complaining about a couple of weeks ago yes yeah yeah he sent me something on Facebook saying have you seen Hollywood have you finished watching it I need to complain about it to somebody <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we have another half an hour discussion where we just essentially go on about Hollywood and I'm going to put that on as as a rant as a ranting special of us just ranting about Hollywood and in there he I think he he might mention it in this one as well he says that this is the reason why he likes books because if somebody writes a book you can direct it in your own head and you can have exactly yes, what you absolutely. want in your own head and you can say this is how it's going to look like that's what it's going to look like and he's and he's like yeah in books you can have whatever budget you want which is why i think he spoke about how he decided to make the aliens in his novel something that actually was like an alien <laughs> something that yeah. he hadn't yeah, he hadn't seen before so um so and i and i just think that um that was just a point I wanted to talk about, the fact that, you know, when you read something, you can create things in your own head that, you know, when someone else actually puts them on film, you go, oh, is that what? Oh, okay then. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought that was interesting. Just wanted to, wanted to mention that. Yeah. R- right. So if we have finished saying everything we wanted to say about what Ben said. Yes. Yeah. We are now on to the game of what do we think uh, he looks like based solely on his voice. Well, we know he's six foot five and oh. we know that he was born in about 1965. So there's a symmetry there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I, I give you, that gives you an aspect of age and dimensions. I, I, I think he's probably someone who's got some sort of facial hair, like maybe a moustache or a beard or possibly both. Okay. And, um, would be the sort of guy that would wear clothes wise would wear like a, a dicky bow. You know, I mean I could be totally wrong. A, a waist a waist like like a waistcoat and a, almost like a you know, like um a what how can we say, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a Sh- Sherlocky Holmes a bearded Sherlocky Holmes sort of looking character, you know, with the Type. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I think I think I think you have just you have just um, described Tim Wanakot of Bargain Hunt. But... Oh right, okay, yeah. <laughs> <I'm>... Not quite <laughs> at all. All oh, right, I, I, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. So, uh, uh, I only know who he was because he was on Strictly. So all oh, right, okay. So Sharon. Well, in my head, because of his height and the way he was talking, I just picture him like a retired police officer. <laughs> That's how, so tall, you know, uh, quite obviously some tall people don't like their height, so they tend to hide it. But I get the feeling by the way he talks that he's that he embraces his height. So he stands up straight. He's got uh, salt and pepper hair. He's graying. He's quite upright, quite smart in his appearance. Looks you straight in the eye. He's quite direct. I get the feeling intelligent and um i just have face there i don't think so i think he's quite clean shaven and he keeps himself quite tidy and quite neat because tall people can be can be worried that they're intimidating so i'd imagine he is quite self-contained <laughs> as well in his actions oh there's a great line about that in the the tv series on amazon prime the marvelous mrs Maisel. 
there, there's a great line where Zachary Levi, he, he plays a character that he's talking about how it, what it's like being tall and how when you're tall, you can get angry because if you get angry, everybody gets scared around you because it's like yeah. you just look like an angry building. <laughs> so, so yeah, good at that. Okay, cool. So that's what we reckon. That's what you guys reckon. All right, so Ben, when you finally listen to this, Prove him wrong. Show us a picture. Let us know what you look like. Although if you probably go online and find, he is a published author. You can probably find a picture from a dust jacket or something. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's it. So until next week, where we will see what we we'll see what the what what the next chapter is in this unfolding saga that mm. is cinemas never coming back. <laughs> we'll see what the next what the next chapter is. Until next week, it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. We'll see you guys next week. See you later. Uh